Hello and welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hello, Kyler. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. How about you? Good, good. What's going on in our world? I think we had a pretty standard week. Was it that standard? I mean, we had a pretty amazing brunch, apparently. Oh, yeah. The week started off with a wild brunch. We went to a newish restaurant at the Beverly Center, which is a big shopping mall here in the Los Angeles area. Nobody's ever heard of it before. (laughs) Well, you may have noticed it. It's been in a lot of film and television shows. Most notably, I think it was the setting for Scenes from a Mall, starring Woody Allen and... uh, Bette Midler. Oh, yeah. And... A surfboard. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, so we were at the Beverly Center. By the way, they remodeled this place, but it still feels like it's from 1983. It looks exactly the same. Which is like totally appropriate for the topic at hand. Anyway, so we were going to brunch. Yeah, and we kind of got trolled a little bit because the menu online said they had unlimited Aperol spritzes. But then when we got there, there was no unlimited anything. Right, which I'm not like in love with the Aperol spritz, but unlimited something or other at brunch, you know, that that's kind of a promise that you have made. You mm-hmm. know? And, and I don't think I did. I, they didn't even deliver. They they sort of just played shell game. Yeah. Um, so we should have been tipped off that the food and everything else was actually pretty good. But we got the check and it all fell was apart. Very good, actually. Yeah, which it was, was great. The, the, kind of one of the like bigger disappointments of this whole thing. But, you know, and so the check shows up. And uh, the numbers don't add up, literally. But, but it was one of those, like you know, right? We're we're with, we're among friends and lots we, of friends, and it's one of those things where everybody wants to put in a different amount. You know, we had a lot of drinks, so we wanted to pay more. And I don't want to like belabor that thing, like where people want to you know, individualize and split a check like eighteen different ways with like twenty three different payment types and i don't know anyway the the ultimate result was we we had a check that did not add up and everybody kept dividing it out i think that check made the rounds like three or five times around the table i think it was 192 times actually just short of 200 infinity plus five but anyway and like it look i'm no savior i just finally like i was like screw this guys i'm gonna do the math and it did the itemization did not add up to the total Right. Well, they kept reprinting the bill and the last bill, which was the third or fourth one, there was still $8 unaccounted for, which, okay, who cares? It's $8. But at that point, we had been sitting there crunching the numbers and it's the principle of the matter. Why are they charging us this extra $8 that's not indicated anywhere on the bill in which we have received? Do you think we were the first people to ever question Without a doubt. Bill? Yes. Without a doubt. I think that so many people have gone to that restaurant, imbibed a little bit too much at their brunch, and then they paid more than oh, they Oh, they didn't know have. what they were getting with us. I mean, we could still do math under the influence, so... Well, speaking of doing things under the influence, there's a big wedding that's going on in this week's episode. Should we get to it? Absolutely. Welcome back. So this episode picks up right after the last episode. Well, maybe a few minutes later. And the wedding is in 
full swing. They kind of left us on a cliffhanger, like, oh, maybe Crystal won't go through with it. <laughs> oh, come on. But the cars are uh, are rolling in, including a um, a favorite of my co-host, a Lincoln Continental. Did you see that Butte driving? I into don't the know Carrington which one you're mansion? talking about because here's the thing: it was all sponsored and provided by Ford Motor Company, which was a thing of the Aaron Spelling shows apparently because they did the same thing on Charlie's Angels and a couple of these other you know at this at that time period. So you get like this parade of like Lincolns and Mercuries. So that, that seemed to be a thing in, in his productions. Like oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I thought I saw a, a Lincoln in there, but I guess it was just some other big boxy 70s car. No, you did. But there was, I mean, there were several of them. But, you know, that was the deal. You're not going to see a Cadillac because that's a GM product. You know, you're not going to see a Chrysler because all the cars were sponsored by, you know, Ford. Oh, I see. I'm Lincoln saying Ford is owned is by owned, Ford. Yes, right. Gotcha, gotcha, owned by gotcha. Ford. And Ford provides, you know, the, which of course you're not going to see a, a Ford Fiesta at the, you know, the Carrington wedding. Well, it wouldn't have Dynasty. been allowed in anyway. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting. Like, I, I think you do see one or two sort of like very mm, entry level middle class vehicles, but. You wonder if they like the valet makes them park like behind the trees somewhere or something. But. Well, this goes back to what I was saying in the last episode. I didn't think this wedding was as fabulous as I would have expected, but and it, I have I have a couple of uh, takes on that later because I agree in some ways. So before the wedding can start, we cut to the Blaisdell home, which I think it's our first time seeing it, and I'm starting to understand why Claudia had a mental breakdown because this house <laughs> is absolutely terrifying. Well, her mental breakdown to build on what you're saying would clearly be because she hasn't been able to redecorate in 10 years. I mean, this is the home of a crazy person. Well, I mean, it's it's stuck in 1972, and it's what's supposed to be 1981, right? You've got the mushroom wallpaper, you've got the the terrible drapes, and and, and are you saying that there's a certain extraness to to all of this that that creates her mental instability? Or it's well, it's a chicken or the egg situation. Is she crazy? Therefore, <laughs> you think she, she decorates like that because right, she's crazy? she's crazy. Therefore, she hung a wallpaper mural next to uh, gold drapes on top of wallpaper mushroom with avocado green appliances or living in this insane environment drove her mad. I don't know. But clearly the interior design of the Blaisdell home has something to do with her mental health. Right. Well, and it can't make for a happy home either. So <laughs> obviously the the uh, the the mentality is spreading to everybody. But. Yeah. So we have Matthew and Lindsay sitting down to breakfast. Although throughout these scenes in the home, everybody refers to it as lunch. Well, you know, and I couldn't figure out if this is because it's later in the morning and it's like basically noon. They're or eating eggs. If they're just doing and that bacon. weird thing. Well, but they also said it's Sunday, so I guess you could eat eggs and bacon on Sunday for lunch. Well. Then it's brunch. So it's either breakfast or brunch. I thought that whole brunch. like lunch is breakfast was from like the South. I I remember growing up and hearing older people say that. I but you know, we're supposed to be in Denver in the suburbs. So I don't I don't I, the whole thing's a little bit off putting in in a way. But yeah, well that's true. I mean, I guess you in the South you would say, Oh, we're gonna have supper and you really mean that we're gonna have, you know, a sandwich and some potato chips. 
I think supper was actually what we now call dinner. Oh, right? this is almost dinner a, was lunch. This is almost as lunch was breakfast. This is almost <laughs> as confusing as the brunch receipt that we had to, to deal with earlier this week. So we have Lindsay and Matthew sitting down to have breakfast, brunch, lunch, supper, whatever. And Lindsay is reading the newspaper. I don't know where Claudia is at this point. And the Denver Chronicle headline writer is apparently shady AF because the headline for the Carrington wedding is local oil tycoon to wed his former secretary. <laughs> I mean, I, I was wondering, is this just part of the the melodrama or is that just the way they would have written a sensational headline at that time? I mean, know? it is factual, but as the you know journalist on the podcast, that is not really the way that you would describe but this isn't like high journalism this is like it's the denver chronicle but we're talking about like the society page or something i mean like it's on the front page it's the caring there's not much going on in denver i mean the guy that runs the whole town gets married of course he's on the front page but i i feel like they would definitely take more license than we give for like a a, what seems like a stodgy newspaper headline i don't know but maybe to your point maybe maybe they were hamming it up for, for the sake of, you know, the show. I don't know. The reason Claudia is not having breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, supper, whatever with them is because she's still in bed. And she's like reciting bad Dorothy Parker poetry or something. And it's like, I don't know, something about monogamy. And, you know, and then they're about to have this like bedroom sex drama or not, as it were. I know. Well, I guess all of her time locked away and in the, over the cuckoo's nest made her a little horny because she wants to get banged by Matthew. When I was in a hospital, when I wasn't so drugged that I, I couldn't think. What I'm trying to say is, Matthew, women have sexual fantasies just like men. Mine were always about you, Matthew. Well, I mean, is is this again like part of how this show is trying to be like all outre and sensational and like, you know, oh, here's the woman who's like showing she has a sex drive, you know, like is it was that I don't know, was that already like a thing or was that like a new new idea in this time period? Oh, I have no idea. I was just a little baby when this was going on. Or wait, I may not even no, I wasn't even born yet. I was I was a fetus i was inside of my mother when this episode aired so i have no idea if women were embracing their sexuality in that way but more power to her if she wants to get banged by her husband she she should get banged by him but he doesn't seem that interested matthew kind of says like i'll lock the door and i'll do you right here if you want me to but she's not having it at all yeah that that oral derrick don't pump or whatever yeah (laughs) I think, well, okay, so we've talked about, we didn't really talk much about the daughter, though. I mean, I think, (laughs) Lindsay is her name. Lindsay is clearly a reflection of her mother's own psychosis, but because I, she ends up being basically just as nuts as Claudia. Well, they do say that mental health is genetic, and I definitely believe that Lindsay has a touch of whatever her mom has because she's so... I think she's kind of annoying, honestly. 
<laughs> well, she is a teenager, so yes. I was trying to determine, though, how much of it is a, the actress, Katie Kurtzman, I guess, uh, and how much of it is just how the character is written. Well, you know, I think what happens, especially in the 70s, there's these writers who think teens talk in a certain way and act a certain way, and they end up becoming very one-dimensional. Luckily, we've gotten past that. So, I mean, here's the thing. Claudia is, you know, the most interesting of the three characters, and I think Pamela Bellwood is pretty phenomenal in this character. She's a little um, on the nose in this episode and and she's playing up the the whole like you know mental thing it's almost like so melodramatic it's it's enjoyable even though it's like technically not great character acting <laughs> like she's like constantly chewing on the side of her thumb and looking worried they set up this whole moment of like claudia's like you know mental torment first she's like got the jehovah's witnesses at the door <laughs> and she's like you know she's like i'm already in hell you know and then like then you've got like the you know the daughter drops all the dishes on the floor there's always this other there's all these like corny you know back and forth cuts right um the best one being from the wedding cake being cut at the carrington wedding versus the cake that she's just burned in the uh, in the oven, right? Right. She's so close to the edge that she can't even <laughs> she bake can't a cake. even get a cake to come out. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, she leaves it for like one minute, and then when she well, comes I was, back, you know, that there's was what was so billowing funny to me. smoke like, out of it. The... Didn't take like anything. I know it was like one minute goes by. It was exactly the, my same thought. One thing we didn't really touch on in last week's episode is this idea of a love triangle because Matthew Blaisdell and Crystal had something going on in the past and Blake knows about it and sort of lords that over Matthew but he's they've made it pretty clear that Crystal and Matthew aren't going to be romantic anymore and Matthew is so into his family unit and keeping them together that it doesn't really seem like we should care about this love triangle Although by the time the wedding rolls around, we do have Matthew sort of go out onto the the hills or on the Rockies looking out into the distance longingly yeah, while I, the wedding's going on. I, I felt like it was it's just kind of a lazy device. And well, yeah, it almost seems yeah. like he's telepathic. How does he know the wedding is happening when he was just yeah. standing on the mountain? Well, that's another corny like cut. Like he's out there alone on the mountain where she had previously not dumped him, but basically said this is you know, I'm moving on and we're obviously never going to see each other again. And they cut from him alone in that same spot to her saying, I do basically, which is like, you know, more of these like melodramatic, like bad writing touches or editing maybe, but, but there's a lot of love triangulation. It's not just the, the three of them. And I'll bring that stuff up later, I think, but Oh, well, love triangle is classic storytelling. But in this instance, in this, I yeah, don't it's really just, care. It's not effective. And well, I think that's why we didn't really talk about it last time because it's just sort of like, it's just there. Like, you know, it's a moot point because she's, yeah, she's getting married to Blake and he's trying to keep his family together. Now, let's talk about this wedding because it's in full effect this episode. Yeah, but it's still, it's kind of a boring wedding, though, honest. I mean, I don't know, maybe to some extent, especially very formal and ceremonial weddings probably were i mean there's there's 
I don't know, maybe because it was a daytime wedding, but the clothes aren't very exciting. Yeah, I mean, when Crystal walks down the aisle and they don't even say, I do, they say, I will. It's like so boring. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's something like not very intentful about I will. (laughs) It's like noncommittal in a way. Yeah, totally. But I will say what's more interesting than the wedding ceremony itself is the receiving line after the ceremony is completely bonkers. But I was getting this vibe of like the beginning of Rocky Horror where everybody's like all wearing these very bad, you know, 70s clothes and saying goodbye to the bride and groom. I don't know. It was like this just very like you've seen this scene so many times and in this case it was like sort of like intensified Um, so yeah so we have blake crystal fallon and steven lined up chatting with all of the guests saying thank you for coming and this is my friend doris and blah 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 but then it takes a turn because well first of all crystal starts noticing like unsavory guests like a congressman that Blake is apparently like paying off. There's a guy that's like, I don't care. I'm going yeah, to kiss your wife on the mouth. I think that was actually the best one out of all of it. I mean, cause I, the, no. congress, the to me, the congressman being bought off is like, yeah, well, you know, it's like you roll your eyes. It's pretty standard writing for what you expect in this, this sort of story. Right. But yeah. And the, then we <laughs> also have crystals, two friends, uh, her poor friends who we know will never see ever again in the next nine seasons of the show because they're poor and she's rich now. And I think they know it too. But more than that, my favorite part of the receiving line is Fallon greeting the football players for the team that Blake owns. And she proceeds to mouth kiss each one of them. And Crystal is looking at her like you little slut i don't think she's looking at her like that and she's like i think crystal has supposedly never seen such a thing like i think she was a little more uh staggered by such behavior i mean this is a wedding they're basically like gang banging her in front of everybody it was over the top ridiculous well i mean obviously they do a good job of making like you know fallon this like sex pot who's like sharp as a razor and double tough, you know, but still in control of all of the sex that's that she seems to surround herself with. I don't know, because do you think that she banged each of those football players? I mean, it's it's also suggestive. You might as well assume it right at the same time or one at a time. I mean, maybe in the end zone, I could see that happening. Oh, is that anal? I I think that they've had group sex together. That was the feeling I got from it. They were very close. That might be reading a little too much into it. Each three of those guys kissed her one after the other. So it was basically like they were all kissing each other. It was kinky. Yeah, it was like sloppy fourths or something. (laughs) Sloppy fourths. Well, it was certainly a touchdown. What I did not think was a touchdown was the introduction of the um, Colby's. They almost don't even realize that they're going to be somebody later in the story because they're just kind of part of the the rest of this group that they're receiving, right? That's true. But I guess since I know that there's a spinoff at some point called the Colbys, then I knew to sort of pay attention when Cecil Colby, who's this older gentleman, 
and then his nephew, Jeff Colby, are introduced. And so Blake Carrington has hinted that he wants Fallon to possibly get married to Jeff Colby. We already know that. Well, I mean, it's just basically giving you your standard dynasty logic, right? Two rich families marry each other off so they keep the money and you know, in control of the Oh, family, you mean dynasty you know? with like a little little Yeah. Thing. Well, I mean, technically that's <laughs> not what a dynasty is, right? But I mean, that's but it's the same idea of like rich families keeping it all in line by marrying each other off, you know? So it's like you're keeping all of the that network of control together. But I mean, again, that's that to me is just incidental. I mean, like, yeah, it's dynasty. Of course that's what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, but we can tell that Fallon is not sexually attracted to Jeff Colby in any way. Certainly not like she was with those three football players she was smooching. No, Fallon's pretty advanced and you know Jeff is basically that like very classic bro eighties. No, he's actually not broy, which I think is I don't find him broy. But he's very yuppie. Um, which, isn't bro? Isn't a bro like a successor like, to a yuppie? No, I feel like bros are a little more like alpha or pretend to be at least. Whereas he's actually a little bit that what was a little bit later more common. But he was like that '80s sensitive guy with really nice hair and always wearing like a perfect suit and you know i think he drives like a mercedes like later or what you know it's like he's very like that yuppie which wasn't quite a stereotype yet but this became like clearly the the cookie cutter to me like when i see him that's like oh yeah that's what we used to call yuppies like when i was growing up you know yeah well i mean i i guess i do kind of see a little bit of a sensitive side because later on he does go have a conversation with Steven on the inside of the mansion while the wedding stuff is still happening outside. Steven quotes Oscar Wilde and Jeff says, oh, Oscar Wilde is so clever, but it's a shame that he was a, a queer deer or something along those lines. And then Steven, who's gay, that we know, I don't think Jeff knows, makes a response like oh yeah wasn't it better when we all hung them or hunted them down or burned them at the stake and jeff was like oh yeah that's a little harsh don't you think steven which no, i guess he didn't deliver it like that though i mean he was i mean he does come across as sensitive there i mean he's you know he's saying well you know maybe i don't i'm not fully going along with it but that's going too far for him to say that yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I think Jeff was sort of showing his sensitive side in that moment, even though he was being homophobic. I mean, but again, this is like that time period. So people just didn't even think about stuff. You know, it's like he's just kind of coming from that that baseline. But that whole scene to me is interesting because, again, what I mean, what is he going to come in here and talk to this brother he barely knows of Fallon and have this like basically it's it's a little bit of a heart to heart on some level. And, you know, like, he doesn't have to do that. Well, I think Jeff is being a little manipulative because he does want to get married to Fallon, I think, or is interested in the idea of it, whereas obviously Fallon has completely turned off to it. And he knows that Stephen might be a way to her heart because Fallon and Stephen, for yeah, what we know, know, are very close. That's not how it's acted, or and that's not how the lines are delivered to me. I, When I watch that scene, that's not what I'm getting from that. Like... I think, yes, he's aware that, you know, you got to get on the brother's good side and that's going to help his case. But the, the conversation they're having, you know, to me, doesn't doesn't really belie 
this idea that he's just manipulating Stephen for the sake of getting married to Fallon. Speaking of more quotes, this scene, he, you know, he delivers the usual like Oedipus Rex story rehash or whatever. But I'm thinking like, well, if you think about it, Fallon's upstairs with his father playing, you know, billiards or whatever. I know that was so scandalous. It's scandalous on its own, but then he's downstairs talking to Steven and delivering this Oedipus Rex like cliche. And it's like, well, if you think about it, Fallon's more interested in his father. So he's kind of quoting his own. Wait, wait, wait. Cecil Colby is Jeff's uncle or father? Uncle or father, but he's clearly like a father figure in this situation. I mean, he. But technically, he's the uncle. I don't know. I think he is the uncle. But the thing is, is like he owns the company that Jeff is beholden to. I mean, it's, you know, it's very uh, father figure to me. Well, we're only on episode two, and I know there's going to be a lot more characters, so I need to get it straight now. But see, again, though, this is like more of this like sexual triangulation. You know, like you've got Fallon. What was with Fallon and Cecil going into the mansion and playing billiards together? Was she trying to hook up with him? He was trying to hook up with her or it was an actual like business meeting. What was your take on that scene? I mean, I don't think she really wants to sleep with him. I mean, she's got plenty of money, so she's not chasing him for money. Mm -hmm. And I... I can't imagine her wanting sex from this guy because she's got the, you know, the young chauffeur guy on the side. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that so, yet. So, you know, like I I tried to parse that down and I couldn't quite get to the bottom of it. I mean, maybe she just wants the power or maybe she's just like she likes playing with people. I don't know, which would be suggestive of like the game that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then you get your like classic like trick pool shot at the end after she says something snappy and like, you know, four balls go into the pockets, you know. and like Yeah, I don't know if it's Pamela Sue Martin or her stunt double, but the pool game trickery is on point. Oh, no, that's episode. her face when that shot happens. I mean, it's I, who knows if they got lucky or if she had to do that a few times but yeah maybe maybe she just sat there all day trying to sink those three balls in but what i thought was really interesting in that scene was cecil colby insinuating that she would be in charge or assuming that she would be in charge of something in the carrington family and basically fallon says bluntly that there can be no minorities no women on the board at carrington I expect, bright as you are, you'll end up running your father's company. Not likely. See, there's an unwritten law at Denver Carrington. At the upper management level, there are no blacks, no Jews, no Eskimos, and no women. So, yeah, let's talk about this affair that Fallon is having with the chauffeur. Now, I didn't even realize that the chauffeur was an integral character because you know he's a chauffeur but the actor appeared in the opening credits so i guess he's more integral to the plot than i thought but yeah fallon is boinking the chauffeur or was boinking the chauffeur and then he just shows up in her bathtub ready for some rub-a-dub-dub action well i mean which i think is another you know it's the uh street urchin from Charles Dickens or whatever, right? Like shows up in your bathtub, except of course it's obviously sexualized here. But I mean, but we've also seen this scene like in movies before and I guess, or maybe are they like reversing the idea of like uh, men using women, you know, like again, that's like showing like her character's sexual power, right? 
Well, I think she's using him for sex, and then he makes it clear that he's trying to use her for money. Or actually, she kind of cuts him off at the pass, and she realizes that that he's doing that, and she whispers into his ear, oh, you're going to threaten to tell my daddy that we're fucking unless I put you on some sort of an allowance? And he's like, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I don't know. That, that was kind of like not working for me, and like, you get the the sense from her character, like, is Fallon really actually going to give a shit? Like, if Daddy finds out about yeah. this? Yeah, well, like, no, that's... That what's w- going to happen is Daddy will just fire the chauffeur. He's not going to get pissed at her. Yeah, and know? that's her response is she's like, I'm going to go tell him myself. I mean, she says that after she attempts to drown him in the tub. But, yeah, she's completely an all-powerful being, and I love her energy. Well, and I think this is sort of going back to her thing with Cecil is that she clearly demonstrates not just a sexual power, but a sort of a business acumen. So she, you know, like, and that's part of her whole thing with like a dollar and a half versus a dollar. I don't know. It it sort of gets quoted back and forth. It's not great dialogue, but it's essentially like, yeah, I was confused. What did that mean? I mean, this goes back to, you know, having to figure out brunch math, but why was she saying a dollar and a half? Cause they're talking about turning a profit or something. And, you know, it's juxtaposed with Stephen, who's sort of the reluctant, you know, son of of the Empire. Like, and it's pretty clear, even in his early episodes, that he's not really interested in taking over the family business. Um, I think even when he's in that scene with, with Jeff earlier, um, and they're talking, like, you know, Jeff's, like, sort of quips, like, about, like, oh, you're going to be working at Carrington. You're back from wherever now. And he's like, yeah, I guess, you know, it's like, it's, it's pretty obvious that the sister is the one who ends up wanting to take over the company. Not, not Steven. At least that's what I get from how they're painting it here. Like how she's talking to Cecil and laying out these like sort of like very fundamental and sort of cheesy, but she's like trying to be like, I don't know, show like business acumen, I guess, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think she wants to take over because she knows she really can't because she's a woman but i do think that she's completely capable of and steven isn't and not because he's a homosexual because he just is sort of a sob of a human being but maybe that's because his dad completely came for him in the last episode right before he walked down the aisle but he he does manage to quote oscar wilde and, and deliver that that line about you know work is the curse of the drinking classes or whatever so you know he's got his own it's it's funny like you know the claudia's got her you know literary quote about monogamy by the way dorothy parker was uh you know shit kind of a sad depressing inner life especially at the end so again kind of you get you get that claudia reflection in that quote and then here's like steven quoting Oscar Wilde. I mean, all you can do is like nerd out with that. I don't know what you do with that, but I just think it's interesting that the, the two head cases like seem to enjoy like, you know, this, this like dropping literary quotes thing. Well, I think that's probably because Denver has a really great library system. Maybe. So they're probably very well read. I mean, they have enough books in the house at least. I don't even know if they have to go to the library, but. Oh, true. I mean, isn't that, isn't that where he talks to his dad in the, the previous episode? That's, that was the library. Could have been the study. Maybe it was the office. Might have been the lounge. I think it ends up being referred to as the library. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? There could be two of each of those kinds of rooms in the Carrington Mansion. 
One of the craziest things to me in this episode is that Fallon is going to leave the wedding early to go off with Cecil Colby. Now, I don't know if they're going to go have sexual relations or if they're going to go study the bylaws of the Colby Corporation, but she changes her outfit and starts to head out. But then all hell breaks loose, as we know, at the end of the episode, and everybody sees Walter Lankersham finally arriving to interrogate Blake Carrington about his possible involvement in the oil Derek accident. You're a fool, Walter. Why would I want to sabotage your rig? Hoping I go busted so you can move in and pick up the leases. What are you babbling about? I've got enough to last me three lifetimes. I don't need your leases. Since when have you ever had enough, Carrington? you got a fever just like the rest of us. It's not even the money anymore now. It's the bringing in, it's the owning. You'll never be satisfied you're as big as Colby. And he's not going to be satisfied unless he's as big as God. Well, I'm going to be bigger than all three of you. I don't know. To me, this is another, it's just like, oh, here's more oil stuff. I mean, at least we finally get some action. But I, I just have to wonder, like, were they like, oh, this wedding is kind of boring. So let's introduce some sort of outside element. So well, nothing makes a up. wedding more interesting yeah. than an uninvited yeah. guest. And Walter or, Lankersham was not invited. Or a you know, sticking three Dobermans on them. Yeah. Right. Which is how Blake or his security detail responds. And we get some really great dog chomping <laughs> action where these Dobermans totally go for Walter Lankersham's pants. I think one of them even grabs onto his, his big thick furry mustache. Yeah. I don't know. I don't take much away from this other than let's jazz it up with some action. Even, even, uh, you know, Blake Harrington says, is this a wake or a wedding? And I'm thinking, well, this is actually the most exciting thing that's happened at this wedding. The rest of it's been a snooze fest. But Well, I think he says, is this a wake or a wedding? Because everybody that's gathered out front to see this insane interruption is I got their mouth again. into it. Yeah, oh. their mouth is agape, but inside they're like, oh, this is like scandalizing. Oh, I anything honey, this exciting I... Since- I wish we would be invited to a wedding where somebody comes brandishing a weapon and and accusations of oil Derek sabotage. Right. So I I don't know. Take what you will from it. Well, basically, Blake Carrington's security detail sequesters Walter Lankersham in the carriage house. And by sequester, I mean beats the shit out of him completely unnecessarily. It's not particularly interesting to me. I mean, I get, but maybe that's just me. I mean, it's like, okay, here's, this is how we do business for real when nobody's watching. Like, you know, we're going to beat the shit out of you. Well, that's interesting. Take you out back and, you know, give you the what for. But I mean. Yeah. No. What did you think about them taking Lankersham into the carriage house? I guess it depends on how many times you've read this and seen this story before. I mean, it. Well, this is my first time watching it. I don't mean this story. I mean, I'm talking about like, oh, like rich people, they look like this. But then like when doors are closed, they're really doing business like this, you know, and it's like, well, I, I mean, I think it's acceptable here. And it, again, it adds like a you think more it action, you think but... torture is acceptable. This no, is basically like from an Guantanamo Bay. I'm talking about aesthetics. Like, I just mean like it's not great storytelling, but, you know, I, it, it works here. I, I get what they're doing. It's like. What's the really the difference between organized crime and, you know, big business? You know, there's one is legal and one is not. I'm saying like, I'm just talking meta- metaphorically, like, of course, it's not, you know, the way to do business. But I don't think anybody's like joking that 
you know, in this time period, especially hell, probably even today, like that stuff still goes on. Right. So, yeah, maybe at the Trump organization. But again, like to me, it doesn't really like add that much overall other than like, here's this scene and here's some action. And, you know, it's it's a little brutal, but it didn't like I don't know. To me, Dynasty at this point already is not about that stuff. They wanted to introduce action points. Right. Well, before Lancashire can totally be beat senseless Matthew Blaisdell actually comes in to save the day he'd been sort of tipped off by Stephen that this altercation was going on and then we get Blake coming in and sort of figuring out that Matthew and Walter Lankersham have been dealing with each other in some way which angers Blake because Matthew Blaisdell is on the Carrington oil payroll I don't know what Lankersham's business acumen is, but it doesn't seem very smart, which Matthew points out. He could have made uh, a I lot more money. I disagree with that. I, well, do you think he could have gotten more money? I mean, is that spelled out? If there's out in oil this, in or? them there hills, sure. Mm, yeah, but I mean, and that's part of the oil business, right? Like you could have 100 drills and never see a barrel, right? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, most of my knowledge of the oil industry comes from the Beverly Hillbillies, so I'm probably not the person to ask about that. I don't know. I, I didn't see it as a bad business decision. I I saw it as he he understood that like he's a small player in a town with with Blake Carrington. Yeah, and, no, that's probably true. And how much was he ever going to get out of that? And if he's going to get this nice, you know, this sweet deal from Blake like maybe he should you know it's it's not a moral failing it's just business you know Mm -hmm. speaking of morals in walks crystal and she sees all of the shadiness going down and I don't think Linda Evans even has a line to deliver but um she's definitely say it all yeah she's definitely distraught as she should be she's just seen her now husband beating the shit out of this other guy. Then Matthew Blaisdell, her former lover, has also got a bloody lip. And then um, slobbering Stephen is kind of in the corner behind a window watching all of this go down. And we end the episode with another to-be-continued dot, dot, dot. Let's talk about our lurks of the week. I yes, think this will be a little bit difficult because it's a continuation of the previous episode. That was exactly my thought, too. Yeah, so some things were reused, but we got a couple of hot ensembles, I thought. I, I don't know how hot they were, but you tell me yours and I'll show you mine or whatever. Well, my favorite is when Claudia finally gets out of bed She's got this crazy blue shirt. <laughs> you liked that outfit? Yeah. I think I was talking about it the other day, how bad that outfit is. I know. <laughs> and I was but thinking. But it's not even bad in a bad way. It's just like, or bad in a good way, rather. It's. I'm sorry. I'll let you. I just, I, I, I hate that outfit. And it's not even interesting to me. She's almost dressed like a superhero. It's this teal aqua short sleeve shirt that for some reason comes down into a V point, basically accentuating like her vaginal area. The pants are made <laughs> of this vaginal. <laughs> the pants are made of the same color and material, and she's accented it with a belt. Actually, that was part of why I hate this this look because the pants and the top are not the same material. 
I think they look very similar, but it's in that way when like you, you know, somebody buys a suit top over here and then they buy pants at that store and they, they try to make them look like they go together, but they actually kind of just don't. Well, we'll put it up on our Instagram and let the people decide. The other thing is, is, is she wearing a bra with that t-shirt? I don't think she is. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I see some nipplage going on there. And she's a mother. I don't remember nipples. It was just definitely very jiggly and unstructured underneath. So, I, you know. Anyway, I know Claudia is not one of the rich bitches on the show, but I, I think that she topped them with this beautiful domestic superhero outfit. What was your favorite look of the week? I mean, there's this woman in the reception line and you know, she's, she's, she's a little bit older. She's an old rich lady or whatever. And she's got on, I I, I don't, you have to remember this. It's like this really bad, like coral and avocado green printed, you know, suit and skirt with like a giant hat in the same color and like a chunky necklace in the same color and it seems so inappropriate for like wedding attire. Is this the woman that's wearing like a black hat? No, 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 no. It's like a big like uh, you know, it's like a sombrero, but it's like magenta. <laughs> <laughs> it's a magenta sombrero. <laughs> anyway, but the the print and the color combination are something to me that are from 10 years ago at this time. Right. This is the woman wearing a seashell print yes. blouse. I think it's seashells. Yes. yes. Pink seashells. Well, it's not just a blouse. It's it's actually a it's a whole, you know, uh, ensemble, a matching suit or something. It's a lurk. But it kind of reminds you how like like old people, no matter when, seem to like dress from 10 or 20 years ago. So I don't know. Maybe that's what this was like her special occasion outfit. That no, she always whips out. I, I love that. No, I remember it clearly now. And wow, we're only on the second episode, and an extra or a one-liner right. has one extra look of the looking week. extra. Yeah, but again, this says a lot about the unfortunate wedding gown that Linda Evans had right. to wear in Crystal's wedding to Blake Carrington. I mean, we maybe we, she we didn't saw want to upstage her guests. Maybe that's what what the choice was. Maybe that's what the costume designer was thinking No, Now stuff's going to get dark. So I think her wedding attire, such as it were, is also kind of interesting to compare with what Blake was wearing. I mean, think about it. We're at a millionaire's wedding in the, you know, at this time period, at the height of formality, and he's wearing basically a boardroom suit. And I don't know if this is just because it was a day wedding, but I also feel like who cares? You have all this money and you're in this very formal setting and he's not wearing a tuxedo. He's wearing what he would just wear to the boardroom. I mean, I, I think he wears these these suits in like every scene. Right. So to me, this was like an interesting outfit, you know, costume, because he's not making this anything any more special than a business deal. And that's really basically what it amounts to at the end. It should have been a black tie wedding. It should have been. The guests I understand because I think especially at this time, evening weddings were considered black tie and daytime weddings were not. This guy's got more money than he'll ever be able to spend, right? So I don't know. It looks special on your day, I guess. But but clearly this was he was dressing for business, not for, for love. A boutonniere is not enough. No, it's really not. And then these are some ugly flowers, so you wouldn't want a boutonniere from these anyway. 
Well, that about wraps it up for the second episode of Dynasty Oil Part 2. We'll be back next week where, I guess, are we going to go on the honeymoon with the Carringtons? Do you know? I feel like it's the honeymoon's over. Oh my gosh, the honeymoon's already over. Anyway, if you want to follow along with us, we're on social media at Nasty Podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, all the places. Uh, Also, we have a website, which is nastypodcast.com. For some reason, dynasty is like a sports term now, so we can't use that. All of that's taken. So we're just going to be nasty. Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much for joining me again, Kyler. I also want to thank DJ Jugo, who created our amazing theme, and the artist Lindsay Mound, who designed our amazing graphics and our logo. Anyway, we'll see you here next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.